1: and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With a new podcast every day of the Premier League season, this is Football Social Daily.
2: Poland pinched a point last night, England conceding at the death in Warsaw in their World Cup qualifier, but despite the 1-1 draw, Gareth Southgate's side remain on course for the 2022 World Cup in Qatar. However, did last night's display raise more questions than answers? No substitutions, a lack of cutting edge? We'll dissect last night's action on today's show. Plus, several South American football federations have written to FIFA asking for their respective Premier League players to be banned from representing their clubs this weekend. The likes of Edison, Alisson, Firmino, Fabinho, Thiago Silva and others may have to sit out this match day, but will top flight clubs adhere to the rules? And ahead of his return to Old Trafford on Saturday, we answer the question that everyone has wanted to know the answer to for years – Is Cristiano Ronaldo truly the greatest football player of all time? We'll be joined by Dr. Tom Crawford from the University of Oxford, who's been crunching the numbers behind the age-old Messi versus Ronaldo debate. All of that to come here on Football Social Daily, the Premier League podcast with a new episode every day of the Top Flight season. I'm Niall McCorn and in the pundits' chairs today, we have our own version of Alan Shearer and Jamie Carragher. Marley Anderson and Steve McNaughton are here. Morning, (laughs) gents. Good morning. Morning, lads. Uh, Marley, this probably the best intro you've ever had, pretty, being likened to Alan
3: Shearer. Yeah, pretty much. I've had some stinkers over the years, um, <laughs> but yeah, that's I'm quite happy with that one, to be honest.
2: <laughs> Steve, how do you feel about being likened to Jamie Carragher? Um, it was the wrong end of the pitch for me when
4: I was playing, um, you know, <laughs> so I think... I think if it was uh, if it was to be likened with any Liverpool player on my abilities, it'd be probably be someone like Sean Dundee,
2: <laughs> David and Gog, <laughs> yeah, yeah, someone like that, you know,
4: David Speedy.
2: <laughs> Very good. Um, certainly, a lack of quality, some might say, on offer in Warsaw last night as England played their third World Cup qualifier of this international break. It finished one apiece in Poland. Poland snatching a late equaliser, a header at the back post. England took the lead through Harry Kane. We'll come on to their performance in a minute, Marley. But do you think Poland deserved their goal on the balance of what we saw over the 90
3: minutes? Um, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't think they were they were ever threatening a goal. Um, I thought the level of performance was typical of a slightly smaller, you know, European nation where they knew what they were up against um, and decided to to stick it in. They were basically playing for a point. Um, once they went one nil down, I don't think anyone expected them to get it. But um, I think the way England played let them score. I think they were a bit too lethargic and a bit too um, standoffish when when Poland were having a bit of the ball uh, ball and, and possession wise. So I feel like you know they they took the chances. I thought Lewandowski played really well um, for them, even though I, f- I feel like when I watch him for Bayern, you know he's he's very much a finisher. Um, but for Poland he knows no one else is quite as good as him so he comes deep he gets the ball he holds it up he brings players into play he passes fantastically well Um, and he's seen that sort of culminate in the end where we gave him too much space in the box and he picked out a perfect left-footed you know weaker foot cross which anyone would be you know daft to miss so um, on on the level of performance through the whole 90 minutes don't think they quite deserve the point but I don't begrudge them forgetting it because I don't think England did anywhere near enough to kill them off, which they could have in the the previous 89 minutes that they didn't concede. I
2: definitely agree with what you said about Lewandowski. I think even though he didn't score, he proved that he's not just about scoring goals. He's also a creator, Um, you know, dropping out to that left side and hanging up that cross to the back post. And, you know, the Poland man rose above Luke Shaw and powered it beyond Jordan Pickford. And incidentally, Jordan Pickford was on course for a record last night for the most clean sheets, I think, kept in England colours in a short space of time or in a calendar year I think it might have been I agree with what you say about England too a bit of a a lethargic game I mean I don't like watching England in qualifiers at the best of times because I don't find it particularly entertaining tournament football is different because there's jeopardy involved why do you think England couldn't break Poland down Steve because we've talked so many times not just on this podcast but people have said it on social media and on other media platforms this is probably the best and most talented attacking group of England players we've had in such a long time so why do they find it so hard to break Poland down do you think?
4: I think Souza set them up really well last night I think he set them up to be quite defensive and and put that kind of you know deep block in with England and try and catch them on a counter I think we lacked a bit of cutting edge last night. Um, I think, I mean, I wasn't impressed. When I thought Jack Grealish had his, probably his worst game in an England shirt last night. Um, and I just think we, we run out of ideas. Um, and it's a puzzle that we have to sort out. My own club team have it. And, I, you know, where, when teams play like that, we just cannot find a way through. I mean, like, like the Chelsea game, you know, a couple of weekends ago. Um, and it's wildly frustrating when you were peppering the door in the second half like the were, and having lots of the ball and lots of the possession, and and you just can't find a way through. I mean, thankfully, Harry Kane's, you know, rocked up with an absolute worldie. But, you know, if that wouldn't have happened, I I can't see where the goal would have come from.
2: Just to let everyone know, Steve is having some building work done at his home. That is not Jack Grealish trying to chainsaw his way through uh, the bricks and mortar of Steve's house. (laughs) (laughs) I think he's probably got a point, though. It did feel like, you know, after two 4-0 wins against Hungary and Andorra, respectively, The game against Poland, I think maybe there was a little dash of complacency there. Interestingly enough, there were no subs from Gareth Southgate, Marley. That's the first time that there have been no subs in an England game since the Euro 96 semi-final against Germany. Now, that is absolutely remarkable. When you're 1-0 up and England were defending a lead, and like you say, both sides didn't really look like they were going to break each other down until the final five minutes where Poland were starting to come back into it. In that situation, 1-0 up. Sitting on a lead, do you think that's the right call not bringing any subs on? Because it's obviously a rare thing.
3: Um on the basis of it, yeah. Like not making a sub in ninety minutes is, is strange. However, I was I was thinking about how the game was going. I, I, I thought I thought England weren't individually weren't playing too badly. Like, you know Kane's never gonna get taken off, especially at nil nil or even one 0 up, but at any point really in the game, Harry Kane's never gonna get taken off, so forget about that one. I thought Mount and Grealish were playing really well together. I thought they were, their little uh, link-up was really good um, and threatened something all the time. I thought Sterling played well as well. Um, so when it was nil nil, I, I thought, if you're taking one of them off, you're talking about a system change to, to bring in another attacker, maybe go three at the back and two up front um, and take off you know your full-backs or something like that and try and sort of wedge someone in. But... I didn't think uh, anyone was playing badly enough to to warrant getting taken off, but I think once it went one nil as well, I think Southgate's probably thought, well, the team's clearly working. We've finally got the result um, that well, we've got you know we've got ourselves ahead in the game. Who would I back to come on that would make us more solid defensively? Because Walker's probably the best defensive right back you've got. You're never going to take your centre backs off. You're not going to take Rice or Phillips off because they're they're the ones that shield your defence. Um, so, it, it comes down to to that, really. Um, I, d- I don't think there was an obvious change to make. Um, I'd have maybe put Trent Alexander-Arnold on at right back when it was nil nil and try and give us some more creativity from, from the back. But once you get the goal, that that goes out the window. I think he was warming up at one point as well and and it looked like he might be about to come on. But then England scored and he probably sat back down and put his kit back on. So, um, I don't think there was an obvious one. Um, And I think that's one of the issues with the England team. I think when you find the strongest team, the strongest team is so strong that you struggle to then replace them during a game because you're thinking, well, if I put Lingard on, he's not as good as Grealish. And if I put him on, he's not as good as Mount. So, and when they haven't played bad or they're not carrying an injury, it's hard to then take them off and and put the pressure on someone else to come on and do it. But then again, that's why you've got subs. So you have to take, take risks at some point. So you never know.
2: After the game, Gareth Southgate said, we were in total control. There was no issue. So why disrupt it when you're in control? I feel like that is almost a hallmark of Gareth Southgate's management, Steve. And we've seen it a few times that if things are going to plan, he has a reluctancy to change it. Or if things are looking like they could go to plan, there's a reluctancy to change it. Because... It's not the first time there's been question marks over his decision making in terms of substitutions.
4: Yeah, I thought I thought it was a strange one last night. Um, I think the thing is with England, and you know, don't get me wrong, I actually like this England team. I think you know it's it's probably the best England team, certainly in my lifetime. Um, I include that golden so called golden generation as well of Lampard, skulls, Gerrard, Ferdinand, all them guys. I think this is a genuinely exciting England team, um, and the point I'm making is that when we when we go one nil up in these games against countries that have got a bit about them, and Poland aren't a bad team; they're not the worst team, but you do feel if if you took Lewandowski out of that team, they're a different proposition. And um, we, we've seen when when you know we went one nil up against Italy in the second minute in the final of Euro two, uh, Euro 2020. Um, you know we led against croatia you know for over an hour in that game in the world cup semi final and we we i think we did the same against the dutch in the nations league as well in 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 the semi final and we uh, we have a bad habit of retreating further and further back as the game goes on and there were shades of that again last night you know towards the end when poland were determined to get the equalizer and like we've said it was on lewandowski's week of foot the cross comes in and he just gets above shore and, and powers in a good header. Um which you think, you know, could the keeper have done a bit better on that. Um and, and this is what this is what the I think these are what things that Gareth Southgate needs to ponder is that in in these tight games we're wilting a bit. Um so I just think that, that that's the only kind of critique I've got about Southgate's England team is the fact that, you know, we do tend to retreat quite a lot and um, and get penned back further and further um, and you just feel that it's a matter of time when these things are happening you know you can kind of see it.
2: I said after the Euros final Steve that I didn't want to be left thinking the morning after the game what might have been what could have been for England if only we had done this and I was feeling that way and I don't know whether that's just because England lost on penalties but It did feel to me like there was an element of, ah, if only we had just done this or just gone for it a little bit more. I know there's throwing caution to the wind because you're trying to get to a final. I understand that. If you lose in the semi-final stage, you're thinking, oh, what might have been we could have got to the final? But, you know, if you lose the final, to me, it doesn't matter whether you lose on penalties in extra time or in regular time. If you lose the final, that's it. You're second best. So... I was always wondering after that Euros final, what might have been for England had we been a little bit more aggressive? And I think you're right. There tends to be that slight element of defensive mindedness to Gareth Southgate's side. I don't know whether that's just simply because back in his playing days, he was a centre-back. Maybe that's where it comes from. Who knows? We spoke yesterday on the podcast, Marley, about the impact of Harry Kane and the impact of Robert Lewandowski, both of whom... Certainly had influence on the game, Lewandowski with an assist and Kane with a good goal from 25 yards out. He lifted his head, didn't really see any options, decided to fire a shot and it swerved away from the defender and away from the goalkeeper who was Wojciech Czesny, who looked a little bit unsighted because there was a defender in his way, but do you think perhaps he should have done a little bit better with that Harry Kane effort?
3: Yeah, probably. He'd um, be disappointed to get beat from that range. Uh, I think... It's, it's obvious why it goes in. I think if you look, there's a replay from directly behind the goal and he can't see the ball at the moment. It gets uh, it comes off his boot. So he doesn't see it until it comes around the last defender, in which case it, it's got a bit too much swerve on it um, and he can't get his feet across there or he's he can't dive far enough. But I feel like if, if you're unsighted from 30 yards, move <laughs> simple as that. Just get to a position where you can see the ball um because you know
2: it doesn't take more than one or two steps to yeah with the distance yeah you know
3: you don't need to be a physician to know
2: that (laughs) with the distance the the defender is away you just need one step to the left and you open the angle up and you'll be able to see the ball a bit better
3: yeah exactly like if if a ball gets shot from 10 yards and you can't see it you know coming through three or four defenders you know fine but you know 25 yards it was and I would be disappointed by him. I've always been baffled how he's Juventus keeper for so long. To be fair, um, I don't think like uh, Juventus are a world class club, and Chesney's not a world class keeper. Never has been. That's why he left Arsenal. You don't leave Arsenal, and go to Juventus if you, you know, if you you're elite. You know what I mean? Like it's not like you've you've left sort of sort of a, a mid. A middling club for a massive fee because you you're just too good for them. I thought Chesney was kind of let go by Arsenal because they were annoyed with his consistency, and then he's ended up at Juventus for seven eight years now, whatever it's been. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd be disappointed if I was him. I'm sure he's he was disappointed with it, but yeah, I think Poland were were just buzzing to. I thought they'd be happy with a one nil defeat. To be fair, the the way they played, they they were going for that point. Um. They were desperately trying to hang on to it, but they got it in the end. So you know, fair play to them. I thought England weren't weren't um, like frantic enough. When the tempo wasn't good enough to to, to kill off Poland quickly, um, and that's what eventually came back to bite them.
2: Yeah, I definitely think there's an element of once you go one nil up don't sit on it, try and go for two. And I think that's the mentality a lot of England fans are hoping for, but we didn't see it last night. It finished 1-1. And just my thoughts on that Harry Kane goal. You're right, Chesney was unsighted from 25, 30 yards and he should have taken a step to his side. But even when he did finally catch sight of the ball it was still 20 yards away 18 yards away and I just thought he was so slow to react um, and like you say by that point the ball had already basically gone past him and into the back of the net that was England's goal a late equaliser for Poland tied up the game won a piece in the World Cup qualifiers in Warsaw England's still in cruise control in their group it looks inevitable that they're going to qualify for the World Cup in 2022 in Qatar talking of World Cup qualifiers there's been chaos in South America this week we've seen Brazil and Argentina have their game suspended after four minutes with Brazilian health authorities running onto the pitch after Premier League players from Argentina didn't quarantine. And now several South American football federations have hit back at the top flight for not releasing those players for international duty. We'll talk about it all next here on Football Social Daily.
3: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Football Social Daily.
1: Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk.
2: Welcome back to the podcast. This is Football Social Daily, your seven-day-a-week Premier League show from Sport Social. If you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode. We have new episodes every single day of the Top Flight season. Time to talk now about the South American Football Federations who have hit back at the Premier League. Nations have asked FIFA to ban unreleased Premier League players for five days, meaning they'll miss this weekend's Premier League action. The nations involved are Brazil, Argentina, Mexico, Paraguay and Chile. And that involves players from clubs like Liverpool, Manchester City, Wolves, Newcastle United, Leeds United, Chelsea, Manchester United and Watford. So we're talking like eight Premier League clubs here affected by these federations. Effectively, the Premier League voted unanimously last week that They won't release players for international duty if they have to go to red list countries. Now, this didn't go down too well with the South American nations who needed to play World Cup qualifiers, Steve. And as such, we've seen the chaos in Brazil between Brazil and Argentina with those health authorities running onto the field. Now we've seen federations in South America ask FIFA to basically ban their international players from featuring for their premier league clubs it is all an absolute shambles but to me it feels like this is a real statement that these federations are trying to make as if to say you can't ban players from coming to play for us so we're going to do it back to you it feels a bit tit for tat in that respect it's exactly that it's you know it is it's pathetic
4: and i think the whole um way south american football is run is is just abysmal. Um I think, you know, you only need to look at the uh, the way that um you know the, the how farcical the Copa America was, you know, in summer just gone. And um I think what's quite interesting with this is that they've asked the federations have asked the players to, to be banned, all with the exception of Richarlison because he played for Brazil in the Olympics in summer. So he's he's all right to play for Burn against Burnley on Monday night. It's just <laughs> it's just absolute garbage, and I just think that I don't understand why these players can't come back into the country, get tested, and if they're not positive, they're fine to crack on. Um, and I think that's just an easy way around it. And I think that you know that potentially goes both ways as well. They're tested before they go out. They don't have it. Um, they tested on on the way out and. You know, then we just crack on because what's going to happen with that is you're just going to have this dialogue between the clubs and the federations just break down completely. Um, you're going to have a stalemate with them where one of them will refuse to budge on anything. And in the middle of it, you're going to have these players that are trying to continue their careers, get international caps, and, you know, be at the World Cup in Qatar next year, challenge with the teams. And I think it's just. If there were two kids, you'd knock reds together, <laughs> Not, you know, and just kind of like you know, you say, "Go on, sort it out." And um, I just think it's a flex. And I know that there's a lot, lots of moving parts in this. I think that you know the Premier League uh, and the clubs themselves are, are speaking to FIFA about this to try and get it resolved with a view to you know having them available this weekend. Um, you know, my gut feeling on it is that they probably will be available this weekend. I think you know they will kind of potentially relent to the pressure from from various organisations involved in this situation. But it's just if I was the player, uh, and, and if you're playing for someone like I don't know Chile or someone like that, you'd be like, is this worth the hassle? you know what I mean, uh, to do it because, you know, they're, they're not challenging for honours. Um, it's a bloody long way to go and, uh, you know, in, in the middle of the week and stuff like that. And I think from a federation point of view, it will do more harm than good in the long term because it. But it's very, very spiteful and it's
2: childish and that. But I wouldn't expect anything else, in all honesty. Well, actually, what you said about testing is exactly what you said a couple of days ago, Marley, when we were talking about this. Why can't they just test? And if they're clear to come into the country they can just crack on and carry on with the way things are going and then obviously that raises debates about setting precedents and if footballers can get away with it why can't the general public and then you get into that rabbit hole of all different debates around testing and coronavirus which we won't go down but I think Steve's right is this decision not just punishing their own players someone like Rafinha for example who was called into the Brazil squad for the first time and made his debut over this international break. What a proud moment for him. But also now, the federation have basically said, oh, you can't go back to Leeds, by the way, you're banned. It just seems a little bit strange. It feels like almost that they're shooting their own players in the foot with this decision.
3: Yeah, I feel like he's, you know, he's gone and he's, he's buzzing to be part of Brazil, and then he's gone, oh, well, this is an absolute uh, mess, this. I don't know what I've got myself into. Because, <laughs> you know, I I don't get this at all. This This whole thing, like, what? What good does it do the nations to ban players from playing for the clubs? I, I don't understand it. It's all just um, pettiness, and it's very. I feel like it's a very South American thing of of right. Well, you've done this, so we're going to do this. I feel like there's a lot of tit for tat stuff in their their sort of mentality, um, and that's the way the way it's sort of proving to be. Um, so. Yeah, they've got no, I don't think, I don't understand what grounds they've got to to demand a ban, just because, I mean, there was logic to, whether you agree with the logic or not, there was logic to stopping club players travelling to red list countries and, and quarantine issues and all the rest of it, but once they're coming back, or they never went in the first place, I don't understand what advantage it gives the countries, but... I don't know. I don't know how this situation is gonna gonna resolve itself. I can't see a suspension going ahead, and and these players like Rafinha and and Fred and um, Edison and Allison not playing this weekend. Um, I think Man City are gonna do all they can not to stick Scott Carson in goal for uh, the Leicester game. To be honest, but we'll have to wait and see. I, I can see something happening with you know some sort of um, peace treaty to be uh, reached before the weekend, but. We'll have to wait and see, because, I mean, this is a mess. This can't go on. It's just bad for everyone. Nobody wins in this situation.
2: And also, it might affect the Champions League and Europa League games we've got this week. So Leicester City versus Napoli on Thursday at the King Power Stadium. Napoli are basically saying we might not travel to Leicester. We want the game to be rearranged, to be moved to a neutral venue or switched to being played in Italy before it's played in Leicester in the reverse fixture, purely because they've got five players in the Napoli squad who have been part of red list international groups. You know, it's all a mess and it could affect Champions League games in the next three or four days, which is just remarkable to think about it. We've also seen a bit of rule breaking, Steve. Tottenham have fined their players for travelling to Argentina when they effectively didn't release them or give them permission to do so. Do you think we'll see the reverse now from Premier League clubs? Do you think we'll see rebellion from those sides involved who might just play the players anyway when they return to the country? Or do you think they will abide to these FIFA rules, I suppose you could call
3: them?
4: I think they'll try and abide to the FIFA rules where possible. Um, you know, I think the, the utopia would be to rebel against it and stick two fingers in the ear to them and stuff like that. But I think in the Interested of diplomacy should we say i think they'll try and you know adhere to to, to said regulations but it's like i said before it's just them it's embarrassing and it's just a mess and it's always kind of around that federation where you know there's any kind of major issues going on and um you know like i said the players are in the middle of this and they'll be the ones really really frustrated but
2: i just think that you know this will get sorted out in the next day or so I hope so, because it will certainly have an impact on the Premier League in the next few months ahead, because there's an international break in, I think, October and maybe November as well. And then there's one in March too. And can you imagine that in March international break, Marley? You know, if this isn't resolved by then, which it hopefully will be, and hopefully the world's a different place, but the March international break where players are either banned or have to quarantine and there's no resolution to this, and we're heading towards the run-in, the end of the season... You know, players could be missing from big clubs, big players, important players for the running, and that would just—it wouldn't ruin the Premier League season, but it would certainly raise questions.
3: Yeah, it would. Um, I mean, if this is if this goes on for any more than a week, I think we've got a problem. Um, I think with um, you know, by by the time March comes round, this this should have been you know forgotten about and long, long in the past, but. I don't know. We we don't know. It's uh, I don't even know whose problem this is to sort out. I don't know who can govern the two bodies. And as Steve said before, I don't know who can be the one to smack the heads together. I don't know who's got that, uh, uh, that authority, but I think it's a case of maybe just working together. But I mean, the the South American Federation seem to have gone off the high, um, off the high dive board with this diving into this. Well, you should ban them as well kind of solution, which just doesn't work for anyone, as I said before, so I don't know, maybe, you know you, you certainly don't want it affecting a season it's bad enough that it might affect one weekend but one weekend, three weekends in, is not the end of the world. In March, when there's a run-in and there's the group, the uh, the, the heavy stages of the knockout um, stages of the Champions League for example, you've got quarter-finals around that time and, and sort of that kind of Uh, level of competition you don't want it dragging on too long so hopefully this all just gets sorted out sorted out and forgotten about
2: yeah I mean I I can see this dragging on though for another few months because that's how things always happen in football football is always reactionary it's never proactive and it's always been that way so I can't see it being resolved Uh, in the next two weeks, let's just say. I hope it's solved before the next international break because come three weeks from now, we're going to be in the exact same position again for the October internationals. We're going to be in the same position where countries are going to be going tit for tat, as we say. We're going to have players banned. We're going to have quarantine periods and regulations and stuff like that so hopefully it gets sorted out but that is the way things stand at the moment that the football federations of brazil argentina mexico paraguay and chile have basically banned their premier league players from featuring this weekend affecting clubs like liverpool manchester city newcastle Leeds, chelsea united watford uh, wolves as well so loads of clubs involved in this and hopefully it gets sold sooner rather than later Right, we're going to take another quick break here before we talk to Dr. Tom Crawford from the University of Oxford. He's a mathematician, he's a football fan and he's tried to put an end to the debate of our time which is, who is better? Who is the GOAT in this beautiful game? The greatest of all time. Is it Cristiano Ronaldo or is it Lionel Messi? So before we do go to the break I want to ask you boys what your verdict is before we get the maths and the science behind it according to Dr. Tom. So go on Steve, Who's your goat in the beautiful game? It's a bit of a loaded question. It's a big question. Is it Messi? Is it Ronaldo? Or is it someone else?
4: There's only one answer for that for me. And that is um, Mohamed Salah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm only joking. Uh, I think Ronaldo for me. I think Ronaldo edges it. And I've said it many, many times on the podcast over the, the, the last couple of years we've been doing it. I just think that um uh peak you know he's he's an absolute specimen and mm-hmm. you know um I mean when he when he took his shirt off when he got them two goals against the Irish last week you are like jesus christ and I, you know he looks like a bloody Dolce & Cabana model on a rock promoting some new aftershave I thought you were going to call like him that, a it?
2: kebab then I like, that's and a bit I, hard yeah, yeah. Um,
4: you know and I just think that he's been you know he's, he's won honours at United uh, at the highest honours at United Leagues Champions Leagues um, he's done the same at Real Madrid the only thing he's not done at Juventus is win the Champions League he's cleaned up in Italy as well he's won you know a few domestic honours with Portugal as well along the way and he's just secured a massive you know move to to Man United where he's probably going to get a couple of years out of that before I hope he he, he goes off to sport in Lisbon and plays there for a the year and then retires. Um, I just think that he, he's, wherever he's been he's been so successful. Um, I'm just conscious that it sounds like there's a bulldozer coming through the house. <laughs> and, um, you know, so I'm just going to say, I'm going to leave it at that so you can mute me and I'm going to say Cristiano Ronaldo. <laughs>
2: okay. Marley, what about you? Are you siding with Steve and going with Cristiano Ronaldo or do you fancy someone else?
3: I'm not. I i, I mean, I can't say Shearer really because people are bored of hearing <laughs> me talk about Shearer on this podcast over the years.
2: The greatest of all time, Alan Shearer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
3: Um, no of of the two I, I personally prefer messi um i feel like it's it you could put me on either side of the conversation i could make a a good case for either of them but in my opinion it's it's messi for me i think he's um i think he's more i think he's more naturally talented than ronaldo i feel like ronaldo had talent but then worked incredibly hard to reach what he what he could and reach the very top of the game and I don't think there is anyone who's who's worked harder at anything in, in in football than Ronaldo however I feel like Messi is the more um talented player I feel like almost his his disadvantages physically make him better for example if you go if you went up against Messi and you think I can shoulder this little bugger in next week you might you might be able to but he's good enough to get away from you whereas Ronaldo can rely on his physical attributes to get him out of situations he can win headers he can play different styles and that's great for him but i feel him like with with messi being so small and so slight he has to be better from an earlier age to be to reach the the levels that ronaldo did because he's not as physically um gifted so for me when he's wriggling away from players in midfield and you know deep and creating things for his for his teammates, I think he's a better passer, I think he's a better playmaker, I think he's um he's better from dead ball situations, for example. I think he's he's better at dribbling. Um I feel like shooting's very um you can get a cigarette paper between them, it's it's that tight. But for me personal opinion, I'd I'd rather wa- watch Messi, um and I'd rather put him sli- slightly ahead in the debate of, of who's the greatest of all time.
2: Okay, so Marley's gone for Messi, Steve has gone for Ronaldo. What does the maths say? We'll find out from University of Oxford mathematician Dr Tom Crawford next here on Football Social Daily.
3: Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
2: Welcome back to Football Social Daily the only podcast with a new episode every single day of the Premier League season and it's a Premier League season which is only three games old but already the excitement is at fever pitch, particularly for Manchester United fans due to the return of Cristiano Ronaldo to Old Trafford, 12 years after his first spell at the club Tickets for United's game against Newcastle this weekend are selling for thousands of pounds, some are even going for more than the cost of an entire season ticket or to see one of the greatest players of all Time in action. I say one of the greatest because it's always difficult to determine who is truly the goat of the beautiful game. You've been there before, down the pub, in the office, on the way to a game. Is it messy? Or is it Ronaldo? Well, we may finally have an answer to the great question of our time, all thanks to a new algorithm from LiveScore called the GOAT Index. The GOAT Index is a new data-driven algorithm which takes into account things like Ballon d'Ors won, goals scored and trophies lifted. And I'm delighted to say the brains behind the whole thing, Dr Tom Crawford, a mathematician from the University of Oxford, caught up with me yesterday on Football Social Daily to spill the beans on the maths behind who is truly the GOAT. Great to have you with us, Tom. First question is, how many Messi versus Ronaldo debates have you had over the years? And what inspired you to turn to the maths when it came to this?
0: Obviously countless. I mean, as anyone who's a football fan, you've always had the debate. In terms of doing this particular index, it was actually, LiveScore approached me as a mathematician and someone who also um, is a football fan and plays football and said, can you turn your math skills into helping us answer the question? Of who is the greatest player of all time. So, I, I can't believe I never thought of it myself, in all honesty, as someone who, as I said, I do master my job. I love playing football. I love watching football. And I never myself thought, ooh, maybe I could put the two together. So, that's kind of how it happened. And I was super excited to be involved with the project.
2: I would be taking 100% credit for that if that was me. So, you're a much more modest person than I am, because I would definitely be claiming ownership over that. So there are a number of categories involved in this index, which you've come up with, and that includes club goals and club titles, international goals, international titles, and as we said as well before, Ballon d'Or awards, but also something called Z-factor seasons. Now, I've heard of the X-factor before, but never a Z-factor season. So can you give us a bit of an idea of what that's all about?
0: Absolutely. So this was the bit where I really got to use my maths knowledge. I was the I was most excited about. <laughs> So the idea is to look at statistical standouts in certain seasons. So the Z factor takes the number of goals scored in a particular season and then says, how much better is this or how much of a standout season was this compared to the seasons around that particular time? So what it allows you to do is to compare seasons across different eras. Because rather than just saying, and I'm sure as football fans we've all had this discussion, is it scoring 50 goals in the 1950s? How does that equate to scoring 20 goals today in the Premier League? It's very difficult, it's very subjective, very opinion-based. So the Z factor says, this was the number of goals scored in a particular season. How much better was it than what had happened in the five years previous? So it's kind of looking in the context of the era when that player was playing. And that then allows you to actually compare players and seasons across completely different eras to see when a particular player had such a standout season that they probably were responsible, for, exa- for example, for winning the league, winning a Champions League, winning a World Cup. You can really hone in on just how good that performance was across the whole history of football.
2: So it's almost how crucial that player was to the success that their team has had and that equates to both club level and international level. And actually, one person who scored hundreds and hundreds of goals is Pele. And we have a bit of a running joke here on Football Social Daily that Pele even counts the goals scored past his dog in the back garden. Um, There's a few debates (laughs) over the legitimacy of some of the statistics. So in terms of the data and where you're compiling it from, because stats are everywhere in football these days, is there kind of like an authoritative figure, so to speak, on the statistics that you used for your analysis?
0: You're right. There's obviously disagreements, particularly around the older players before stats were recorded as detailed as they are today. So what I tried to do with the older players was to get as many different references as possible. So rather than relying on one source and saying, this is clearly correct, it was more, can I get three or four different numbers? If all the numbers match, it's probably right. If there's a slight discrepancy, which there were for some of the players, then I just kind of took the average of those and felt that that was going to be the, the most representative way. And obviously the sources themselves were the most reliable things I could find, not you know Dave's blog. It was actual <laughs> uh, actual statistical databases and, and different things. So I, I tried my very best to make sure that the, the data I was using was as accurate as I could find.
2: I think we should put everyone out of their misery now, Tom. Can you truly reveal to us who is the GOAT according to your GOAT index?
0: According to the LiveScore GOAT index, it is Cristiano Ronaldo. Uh, So I scaled all of the scores at the end so that whoever won was going to get 100. And then everyone else's was given as a percentage of that top ranking score. So Cristiano Ronaldo gets the full 100. He is the GOAT. uh, And then you get Messi in second with 94. And then Pele finishes off the top three with 85. So it's pretty close, I would say, actually, like across, especially between that top three. And something I found really interesting about the results was that often this discussion happens, as we said at the beginning, between are you Cristiano Ronaldo or Messi, but Pele really isn't that far behind in the GOAT index. So I feel like Pele should really be involved in those discussions when you're looking at it purely based on data and statistics.
2: So Ronaldo is the GOAT, according to the GOAT index. Can I just check that you're not a Manchester United fan, Tom, before we go any further?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I actually am, but <laughs> the something I was um, something I was trying to do throughout this entire process, this was the key thing for me. And again, when, when life's asked me to do this, they, they were very clear about this, which was good, was that this was to be not subjective. So this was to be without any form of opinion so the reason i picked these seven categories such as as you say goals titles ballon doors was because you can't argue with those they are things that certain players did or won or were awarded there's no opinion of oh but he was such a graceful player or he had this amazing ability to dribble it's things that we can like you know again hard facts numbers maths like very much my thing it's nothing in the algorithm itself includes any form of opinion so you, in in some sense the the categories perhaps i i tried my best to select a wide range of different categories to cover several different aspects of the game covering um thing and obviously introducing the z factor as the the actual sort of very massive bit which i had a lot of fun with so that in some sense you could argue is potentially subjective. And that's why the debate's always going to continue because you could say, "Well, what about this other thing that wasn't one of your seven categories?" But as for those seven categories, it's it is I would say indisputable. Based on those seven categories, this is what the numbers say.
2: Now, we're a Premier League podcast here at Football Social Daily, and despite the fact that live score ambassador Cristiano Ronaldo is the GOAT according to your criteria, He's also, interestingly, the only player on the 10-man shortlist to have played English football for a significant period of time. The other names, the likes of Van Basten and Pelé, Cruyff, Maradona et al., they all applied their trade on the continent in the main. So do you think you can determine anything about the quality or even the difficulty of the Premier League, do you think, from the data that you've analysed?
0: It's a very interesting point. The difficulty of the league was actually factored in to the calculations. So when I was awarding the points based on the league titles, it wasn't just 10 points for a league victory. It was, I actually used the UEFA coefficient for that particular country for that particular season. So for example, uh, a La Liga in 2012 might've been worth 25 points, whereas a Premier League last year might've been worth 21 points or something along those kinds of lines. I don't know the exact numbers, but I did try to scale in the difficulty um, of those leagues in terms of the why ronaldo is the only premier league uh, representative in the list i suppose there's two ways of looking at it perhaps it's the more recent growth and development of the premier league so sort of i i wasn't alive in the 70s or early 80s but it almost felt as though in those time periods the the sort of uh Great players weren't playing in England. It's not to say we didn't have any fantastic players. And, and another one we should add, um, Kevin Keegan only just missed out on the top 10, who, of course, would have represented, um, would, have, would have been playing in England. So I think maybe it's been that shift that the Premier League's like a much more recent thing. But also at the same time, you're seeing this recent trend of, again, in general, players don't stay around in leagues or clubs for that long they tend to move around a lot more with obviously the growth of transfers and the transfer market and everything else that's come with that so perhaps it's just that the recent growth of the premier league has coincided with this tendency to move around and try playing football in lots of different places and so it just means that there hasn't kind of been that longevity of players um, you know, being able to win titles and win competitions across various different countries.
2: Very diplomatic answer. And I'm glad you've said that because we probably would have been getting tweets saying the Premier League's terrible, it's overrated. But, you know, we love it. And uh, Cristiano Ronaldo is the GOAT, according to the Live Score GOAT Index. Dr. Tom Crawford, brilliant to have you on the podcast. Where can people find more about the Live Score GOAT Index, Tom? And where can they find you and more of your maths stuff on social media?
0: So the video we recorded explaining all about the Goat Index so I believe that's available in the Live Scott app and in terms of the, the things that I do um, I'm Tom Rocks Maths on social media and on YouTube so if you want to learn any more maths <laughs> going right up to university level then you can check out anything that I do on YouTube.
2: So there we have it. The math says that Cristiano Ronaldo is the greatest player of all time. And all those jokes we've made over the years on Football Social Daily about Pele scoring goals past his dog in the back garden. Actually, he was a pretty good player back in his day. We should give him due credit. He's just recovered from surgery as well, Pelé, so wishing him all the best in his recovery. But Messi pipped to the post by Cristiano Ronaldo. So there you have it, Manchester United fans. Thanks to Dr. Tom Crawford's GOAT Index by LiveScore. You can now show your friends down the pub or on the way to the game at Old Trafford this weekend against Newcastle that Cristiano Ronaldo truly is the best player to ever lace up a pair of footy boots. That's it for today's Football Social Daily. My thanks to Dr. Tom Crawford, to Marley Anderson and Steve McNaughton. My name's Niall McCorn. Thanks for listening to Football Social Daily today. Don't forget if you hit subscribe, that way you won't miss an episode of the podcast again. New shows every single day of the Top Flight season, including our new show on Saturday mornings called The Dugout, where two former Premier League professionals will join us to discuss the upcoming weekend's Premier League games. This weekend, I'm joined by former wolf and West Ham winger Matt Jarvis and former Republic of Ireland international Stephen Elliott for the dugout. So make sure you hit subscribe and you won't miss that. But that's it for today's episode of Football Social Daily and we'll catch you again next time.
3: Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode.
1: Step into the world of power. Loyalty